Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 7. That's where I'm going to be preaching from this morning. Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 36. Verse 36. Today we continue our series in the shadows and uh, our series text in Psalms 37, 4 through 7. I've read that to you a number of times, so I'll not read that today. But uh, previously in our series, uh, I gave you four things in which Paul challenged Timothy to leave a heritage in. About a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we went uh, and had our... Uh, message Brother Wilburn preached last week, of course, and from a couple of weeks ago, he challenged him to leave a heritage of truth, to leave a heritage of ministry, to leave a heritage of faithfulness, and a heritage of reliance on God. We talked about the fact that these things, these four things, are critical and important to us if we want to continue to build a church that lasts, a church that leaves a legacy, a church that empowers the next generation to be all that they're supposed to be. So today I want to talk to you uh, from Luke chapter 7 verse 36 this morning. I believe, and I told you this previously, that there is always greatness on the bench. There is always great things that are waiting in the shadows that are just beyond our view, just beyond our reach, things that, that we can't quite see yet that God is always working. Do you believe in a God this morning that is always working things out behind the scenes for your life? I hope you do because he says in Romans 8 and I believe in the 38th verse that all or the 28th verse perhaps, one of those two, that all things work to good for those who serve the Lord and those who are called according to His purpose. And so for me what that says is that God is always setting things up for my good. He goes before me. He goes ahead of me and he works things out so that the path is prepared for me. All I have to do is follow His direction Follow His light and I will come into the full things that God has for me. And God continually goes before me. He continually prepares. He continually plans. He has your steps ordered. He has your steps prepared. He has things ready for you. But I also believe that there are people that sit just outside of our view many times. People that have greatness within them. I believe in greatness in people, don't you? I believe that there is so much untapped potential in the lives of people that if we could really draw those things out and pull those things out, the church would be an unstoppable, unshakable, immovable force in the world. They're in the shadows. And it's up to us as a people A people of God listening and hearing the Spirit of God. We talked for for several weeks on the altar and and our verse there was talking about uh, having ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. We have to be sensitive to the Lord and let God work through us to bring those people from the outskirts in to a place where God can connect them to their purpose and their plan and those gifts and talents that He has formed in them from their uh, mother's womb can be released into the church and released into the kingdom of God and released into the places of their destiny so God can use them to continue the process of bringing more and more folks to Jesus Christ. There's greatness on the bench, waiting in the shadows, 
There's people with great purpose, great call, great contributions to be made to the kingdom of God. I believe that there are people residing in the darkest places of life that have something to offer the kingdom and also something to offer us. Don't discredit anyone because of where they've come from or even where they currently are. What we have to do is put on the eyes of Christ and see them for what they could be, not for what they are. See them for what they have been created to be, not for what they currently are existing in or doing in their life right now. We've got to see beyond those things. And it's in that vision and that visionary uh, kind of approach to life that we are able to pull people from those places, lift them out of their situation and put them in a place where God can use them and their lives can be transformed. I believe that there are people that have something to offer us. People that can teach us, listen to me, people that can teach us about loving Jesus in ways that we can never imagine. People that can teach us about redemption and grace. People that can teach us about renewal and hope. People that can teach us lessons that perhaps because of time and because of circumstance and because of comforts and the many things that plague us often, we've forgotten some of those things. There's nothing more refreshing to a church to see new people come in that have been in the squalor of life, to see them lifted out of their circumstance, to see the redemption power of Jesus Christ flow into their lives, and to see them worship, really connecting with God for the first time. Those of us who have done this for a long time, we can learn lessons from them. They can remind us of what it was like when we first experienced Jesus. They can remind us of what it was like to really reach up and feel that nail-scarred hand and grab a hold of grace and experience it for the first time. I'm just challenging you all today, those of you that have been in this journey for a long time, you've walked this path, you've seen everything, and you know what goes on in the church, and you know what it's all about. I'm just challenging you to find some new people that can give you some freshness, that can come back and give you some new uh, lessons about hope and redemption and grace and forgiveness that can teach us again how to worship God, and we can fall in love with Jesus all over again. Renewing our first works to the Lord, and keeping that freshness of the Spirit in our lives. So today we're going to look at such a person in Luke 7. And I want you to help me pray this morning as I preach to you, second string Christian. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. We thank you for the Spirit of God that bears witness with what is about to be spoken in this house, God. It bears witness with the worship. It bears witness with this congregation, Father. And Lord, we know that we are standing in unity with you, Father. And when we are in unity with you, there is nothing that can stop this church. Father, we're thankful for what we feel and what we know in this house today. Lord, I pray that you move us to a new dimension with you. That God, you open up our eyes to see beyond where they currently see that you give us ears to hear beyond what we currently hear. You give us minds to know things that we have yet to know, God. And you teach us and move us into a place where we can be a force to be reckoned with in this, in this community, in this region. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oftentimes that it is very difficult for us to see people beyond their value to us and see them for their value to God. I want to say that again to you so you get it. It is difficult for us often to see people beyond their value to us 
and see them for their value to God. This person may not necessarily mean anything to me personally. You know, I mean, the fact is, many of us have about, statistics say we have about 70 people in our lives that we generally have a relationship with. About 70. Oftentimes, this is the reason why it's hard for a church to grow beyond 70, 80 people. Do you know that the average church in America runs about 80 people? Why? Because that's about all you can have a relationship with. And because people crystallize relationships so easily, they don't make room for anybody else to come into those relationships and they keep everybody else out. So you can only have about 70 or 80 people in in your life that you're in relationship with. That's that's just normal. That's just what you can handle. And that's that's the way it is. But oftentimes what, what happens to us is because there are people that are existing outside of those 70 or 80 relationships, we see them... Uh, not as their value to God, but we see them as their value to us. We don't necessarily need a new relationship, and so therefore we don't do what it takes and what, what is needed to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is critical, important, critically important for us as a people not to view the people of the world at their value to us, but see them for what God sees them as. To see them uh, in regards to their value to the Lord. Jesus died for them, he gave his life for them, and everybody is important to him. It's easy for us to disregard people accordingly because personally, they don't tend to mean a lot to me personally. Move beyond that. It is easy to minimize people based on their importance to me rather than appreciate them based on their importance to the Father. But as a church and as a people serving God, we must seek to see as he sees and act as he would act. Luke 7, verse 36, let's read together. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Here in our text, we are introduced to two people, and the first one is Simon. And although Simon is a Pharisee, and all of us really understand that when the preacher tends to talk about a Pharisee, he tends to talk about religion and those kinds of things because Pharisees embody that idea. They embody what religion versus relationship is and all of those things. But today I'm going to ask that you just kind of set that aside and let's not view him in regards to religi- religiosity or his religious nature, but let's view him as just a longtime Christian, a seasoned believer, a first-string Christian, if you will. He understands the protocol. He understands the system. He understands the way things work in the church. He understands how to do church. He, he gets it. He gets the vernacular. He knows all the right words. He knows how to, how to speak to people when they ask him how things are going. He knows when to say hallelujah, how to say God bless you, and he knows how to do all of those things that we as church people learn to do over time. He gets it. He has it down. The second person we are introduced to doesn't even have a name. Not only does she not have a name in our text, she is also called a sinner. 
She is a woman emerging from the shadows and really remains in our text an unnamed individual. Verse 37 says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus... But the text says here that when she knew that Jesus, somewhat in this text it alludes to the fact that she had an understanding uh, at some level at least of who Jesus was. She sa- it says that when she knew that Jesus was coming to the Pharisee's house and sat at his table that she came to him. So she has an acquaintance, she has an awareness, she has some sort of relationship at some level with Jesus. So, so she is aware of him. And so let's just, let's just for today, let's, let's look at this woman as a possible seeker. Maybe she hasn't committed to a relationship with the Lord yet, but she is certainly seeking a relationship with the Lord. Or at the very most, perhaps, she is at least a new believer. Perhaps she's not quite sanctified yet. Perhaps she still bears the markings of the world. She still smells of the world, if you will, and a life that is not fully redeemed yet. She's still green. She's not accustomed to the protocols and systems of Christianity. She is unaware of how things are supposed to work. She's just not familiar with the vernacular. She doesn't know how to talk and how to communicate necessarily with the church folks. She's just a second string Christian. So we have Simon who understands and we have this woman, a sinner, who is yet to understand all the protocols of Christianity. Simon is first tier and she's just kind of second tier. No doubt when the woman walks in the room, the words of the writer here captures the sentiment in the room. A woman in the city who was a sinner when I see this in my mind's eye and I think about the scene and I think about what's happened, here's what I picture. I picture the crowd retreats from her as she makes her way to Jesus. Oh, my goodness, a woman who is a sinner has just walked in the room. The crowd retreats from her as she makes her way to Jesus. The gasp, the raising of the eyebrows as she kneels before the Lord. The leaders of the church, the Pharisees in the room, the other uh, Men in the room shake their heads in disapproval as with unhindered audacity she reaches out and she touches him. What nerve. What disregard for protocol. What disrespectful and crude behavior. Who does this woman think she is? Yet Jesus, Jesus remains calm. Seeing her advancing from across the room, he locks eyes with her. There is no gas. There is no look of disapproval. Just simply compassion as she kneels before him. And when she reaches for him, he doesn't withdraw from her. He doesn't flinch. He sits still waiting for this lost daughter to simply offer what she has. And so my first point to you this morning is simply this. Everyone matters to him everyone matters to him everyone means something to Jesus to the father there is no distinction to the father there is no levels to the father there is no first string second string there are simply sons and daughters and that's it and he desires all his sons and daughters to come to him through his son Jesus 
I've come to tell you this morning, this preacher's come to say to you this morning that you matter to him. You mean something to him. You matter to him. And though you may look at yourself and say, Oh, Pastor, when you were talking about that lady, I felt that. I know who who that is. That's me. I'm that second string Christian. I don't get everything that we're supposed to do. Sometimes I don't do the things that I should do in church. And I'm told about it from time to time by other first string Christians. But I've come to tell you this morning that Jesus says you matter to him today. And you're just as valuable to him as anybody else in the world. You matter to him this morning. Not only did the woman matter to him, listen, but Simon matters to him too. Simon matters to him too. We look at Simon as the, as the villain in the text, but the truth is Jesus came to Simon's house and he came to Simon's house with just as much purpose for Simon as he came to Simon's house for the purpose of the woman. He's there to touch both their lives. Why? Because everybody matters to the Father. We look at Simon, we see him as the enemy in the text. After all, he's on the wrong side of this one. But Jesus doesn't see him as the enemy. Jesus sees this as an opportunity to shape an influential leader and enlist him to his cause. He wants this moment to be a divine appointment for this woman, but he also wants it to be a divine appointment for Simon. Why? Because everyone matters to him. Let's read on. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of this woman, manner of woman this is who touches him, for she is a sinner. Simon teaches us a great lesson here because Simon has already decided the fate of this woman. He's already sent her to hell. Can I just be that bold this morning? He's already said, look, there's no no use for you. There's no value for you. You don't matter to me personally. You're a sinner. And he discredits her possibility of transformation. He pushes it aside. There's no hope for her. There's no redemption for her. As far as he he is concerned, the fact that the statement says in the word of God, she is a sinner, that sums it up for him. But that never sums it up for Jesus. Hallelujah. Simon is saying, I can live with losing her. She is a prostitute. She is a lost cause. She is done for. I can live with losing her. It's just one It's just how it is. So let me ask you, long-time Christians, can you live with losing one? Do we look at our neighbors and our friends? Do we look at our family members and because they seem to be entrenched in a life of sin, because they seem to be so bound down by the things of this world, we look at them and we say, well, they're just a sinner. We push them back into the shadows and we say, if you'll just get outside of my view, then I don't have to worry about it anymore. God, give us eyes to see beyond that. Give us a heart that beats for more than that, God. 
bring life into this place, Lord Jesus, where we, we consider the one as valuable. Jesus left the 99 to go find the one. Can we live with losing one? Can we live with losing some? And if we can, then I have to ask you this morning, if so, which ones? Which ones? Let me ask you in a different way. Which one of your sons and daughters are you willing to live without? Susan, which one of your sons and daughters are you willing to sacrifice and lay down? Ben, which one of your sons and daughters are you willing to sacrifice? Which one of the sons and daughters are we willing to say, that's one, we can live with that one, we can sacrifice this one? I want you to know the Father feels the same way about His sons and His daughters. And He's not willing that one... Not one should perish. Not one should be lost. Not one should be left in the shadows of life and not found sought after by a church, by a people, by those of us who have been redeemed and perhaps even forgotten what redemption is all about. The Father feels the same way about His sons and daughters and He's not willing that one should perish. In verse uh, 9 of Second Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Thank God for that. Amen. Some of you ought to underline that, that and just thank God that He is long-suffering toward you. Yes. What I'm saying is some of you are hard to deal with. Let me just say it plain this morning. But his long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all, underline all, all should come to repentance. All. And my second point is simply this he is not willing for any to perish. Not any to perish. I can't live with just one being sacrificed. Can you? As a church, can we drive through our city, see people bound and afflicted by the enemy, and say, oh well, it's a sinner, and live with that one? If we can, then we can't be what God truly wants us to be because we don't hold the heart of the Father. We've got to hold the heart of the Father. Father, let your heart beat in me. Can Jesus live with losing one? No. And he proved it by dying for all. The world may treat you today as a second class citizen. The church may even treat you as second rate. But Jesus never will. You matter to him and he died for you. And he's not willing that any of us should perish. Reading on verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 
And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will he love, will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. My third point is this, that he is guiding you to truth. He is always guiding you to truth. He is always guiding you to new understandings, new revelations, new depth. New, new spiritual understanding. The Lord is bringing you to that place. He asks Simon a question and makes Simon consider what, what, what he knows. He forces Simon to wrestle with the beliefs he has and consider new understanding that leads him to the truth. What Simon has going for him is that Simon is teachable. What Simon has going his direction is that Simon is teachable. And I'm just going to say this this morning, that there's a lot of church folks that think they already know it all, they've already got a grasp on everything, and I've come to tell you this morning that if you're not teachable, you're not going to learn and grow with the Lord, and there are things that you do not yet know. It's too deep. It's too wide. It's too rich. It's too layered for you to know everything there is to know about it right now. And I'm just saying to you, if you stop reading, you stop studying, you get into a rhythm where you think you don't need but one Sunday morning service a, a, a week, let me tell you something, you're getting in dangerous ground because you've stopped growing, you've started settling, and you're in trouble by getting taken over by the enemy's plans for your life. It's easy for us to drift that way. Well, I'm not going to hear anything new. Listen... When I put this message together, I told April, I said, this is weird for me. I said, because for two weeks I've been working on this. and two weeks I've been trying to put this together. And we've just had opposition after opposition. My dad's been in the hospital, as many of you know. Just we've had weddings, we've had funerals, we've had all this stuff going on. And it's been a fight. I, I did this message at midnight in my dad's uh, hospital room. And I did that with constant interruption. And after I was finished, I was like, this isn't very exciting. I mean, this is not anything full of depth. You know, I, I like to get in there and study, and I like to bring you something that you haven't heard before or, or tell you something challenging. And there's a real real temptation for ministers to try to always be looking for something new and fresh when the reality is all you need is what God's already done. Because the power is in the simplicity. The power's in what He's done for us. And sometimes just going back to these simple things and reminding ourselves of them is some of the most powerful things that we can do. And I'm just saying to you, look, if you're not growing and if you're not getting fed, that's your problem, not mine. God hasn't called me to spoon-feed Christians, Amen to get your little burpee on and burp you and, and give you a new bottle and a binky when you need it? No. And let me tell you something. If we're not growing, it's because of an attitude problem. It's not because of the, the Word of God. Because all the minister has to do is get up and read Scripture and you should get something from that. And if your attitude's right and your heart's right, you can receive. When people come to me and say, you know, I don't really like this class, I don't like that class because I'm not growing, I always say, hey, look, that problem's not the teacher, it's you. You're the problem. I'm getting in my own way again. Is that too hard? Okay. 
Praise the Lord. Simon's teachable. That was the point. (laughs) He already sees Jesus as a great teacher because he addresses him as such, doesn't he? He says to him, look, teacher, what do you have to say? Say it to me. So Simon is willing to listen. Simon's paradigm, however, of thought is starting to be broken down so that now Jesus can begin building in him a new way of thinking. God does this to us constantly if we will allow him to do it. We set these paradigms of thought, these constructs of thought, these ways that we see our world. And Jesus comes along and he presents himself in new dimensions and new ways that we've never thought of. And if we'll allow him to tear down the old paradigm of thought, he'll give us a new one. And he'll keep expanding our understanding. He'll keep expanding our vision. He'll keep expanding the way that we understand him and see him and know him. And trust me, you do not know everything there is to know about an infinite God. There are sides of him that we have yet to see. Simon is teachable. He's beginning to build. Jesus is beginning to build in him a new way of thinking. However, Jesus uses this woman to teach Simon the greatest lesson. He uses this person disregarded, discarded by society to teach Simon true worship and the way the father sees his sons and daughters. So let's read on. Verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, he turns to the woman and says to Simon, Do you see this woman? Look at her. You've yet to look at her, Simon. You've yet to see her value. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, do you see the woman in the room? They all saw the woman in the room. They all saw where she failed. They all saw where she was wrong. They all saw where she wasn't doing it right. They all saw that, but they have yet to see the woman. We're good about seeing people, but not seeing the son or daughter that God sees. God, give us fresh eyes so that we see that person and their value to you. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Simon can easily receive teaching from Jesus. He sees Jesus as having value because he sees Jesus as an equal. Perhaps even, he even perhaps sees him as a threat. That may be why he invited him into his house. Can we just go there and just, just kind of get that? He may see Jesus. He's, he communicates to him that he is a teacher. That would in, indicate that he sees him having influence and having a following. And so maybe Simon brought him in to actually learn something, but perhaps Simon brought him in because he sees him as a possible threat. Whatever the reason does not matter. Simon can receive this from him. Perhaps... He sees him as a threat, but this woman he shows no value to at all. She is nothing. Jesus is about to show Simon not only does she have value, she has something to teach him. (laughs) A lesson I learned as a kid, my dad taught me. I remember 
at a young age, we had this guy that worked for us, and he just really was uneducated, didn't have a good upbringing, and really just just was not taught anything. He was just simple. But one day, they were working, and, and I don't even remember what the situation was, but, but he showed Dad how to do something that Dad had never seen done before. And my dad was telling me about that, and he said, Listen, son, I want you to learn this lesson. He said, This is a good lesson that you can learn something from every." body. Don't ever, I'll never forget it, we're sitting in a truck. He said, don't ever forget that everybody has something that they can teach you, so be teachable. I've tried my life to be teachable and listen to people. Not to look at them for what I, their pedigree or their credentials or any of those things, but see them as their value for who God created them to be. If we can be that way, we can also be teachable. Simon knows him as teacher. This woman is teaching Simon true worship and genuine expression of worship. Simon knows him as teacher in verse 40, but the woman knows him as Jesus. Simon knows him as teacher, but this woman knows him as Jesus. Simon has seen him as someone to receive from. He's a teacher. He's to give to me. He's to teach me. He's to show me. He's to offer something to me. But this woman sees him as someone to give to. The perspectives from which you see Jesus limits or expands the amount of truth that you can receive. The way you see Jesus limits or expands the amount of truth you can receive. Listen, church, how do you see Him? Because if you see Him as a taskmaster, if you see Him as someone with a bunch of rules, if you see Him with someone who is hard to get to, then you're going to miss out on a part of who Jesus is. The way we see Him dictates the amount of truth that we can receive and how we will live our lives. Some of us in the room today are so bound by rules and regulations, by rituals and by the do-nots of the Word of God that we are missing the principles behind it and the person that it's meant to lead you to. Please. Let people, you know, he talked about this Sunday or Wednesday night. If you're missing Wednesday night Bible study, you're missing powerful, powerful stuff. You need to be here. But we talked about carrying your own cross. Not trying to carry everybody else's cross, but carrying your own cross. And I'm telling you, if you're bound with religion and all this other stuff and things are weighing you down and you can't serve Jesus because you're worried about doing it wrong... You're going to always be trying to help other people carry their cross because you feel unworthy to carry your own. And so I'm just saying, forget about that. Focus on Jesus Christ and He will lead you to truth. He will fix whatever needs to be fixed. He will deal with sin. He will work that stuff out and He will make you into what you're supposed to be. But your pursuit has to be about Him or you will miss the mark every time. How do you see him? Simon obviously has the most to offer him in the room. 
The woman only has the wages of her sin to offer him. She was a prostitute. Prostitution is not a chosen trade. It is a forced trade. We understand that, right? I mean, you don't wake up someday and you're talking to your, your counselor and you say, I would really like to be a prostitute. That's not the way that conversation goes. It's not a chosen trade. It's a forced trade. It's something that you are desperately drove into, driven into. She is a victim of circumstance, turning to the only solution that she can find. But today she brings what she has been to Jesus and pours it out before Him, asking Him to make her what she can be instead. Perhaps this is why Simon did not feel the need to offer Jesus the customary hospitality. It was customary that he would wash his his guest's feet. It was customary to greet him with a kiss. It was customary to provide oil for him to anoint his head with. And because Simon sees him as someone to receive from, rather than give to, perhaps this is the reason he does not offer him the customary hospitality. Simon was only there to receive and not there to give. The woman, although new to Christianity, understood some things that Simon didn't. And Jesus is using her to open his eyes. He will use anybody to guide you to truth. I'm going to ask Amber to come to the piano and I'm going to ask all of you in this place this morning to just take a little journey with me here for a second and just close your eyes. And I want you just for a moment to visualize the room. Here Jesus is sitting in the room. Here's Simon. Here's Simon and his friends. And this woman enters into the room weeping, crying, tired of rejection but knowing she's about to be rejected again by the people in the room. Yet she's not going to let it hinder her from moving to the one that can change her life. There's Simon, there's the woman, there's Jesus. And between Simon and the woman, which one are you in the story? Which one are you in the story? Are you Simon? Are you the woman? The fact is that we are both. But for a moment as we keep our eyes closed and we visualize this room and if you have the courage to question yourself deep enough this morning can we for this moment just assume that we are Simon and if we are Simon what kind of impact does that have on me and my life? If I'm Simon, then perhaps I have neglected to recognize the value of some of those around me, even to the point of trying to keep them in the shadows of life when Jesus desires to bring them further into the light. If I'm Simon, then perhaps I've overlooked countless people that Jesus loves that Jesus bled for, that Jesus died for, that Jesus gave His life for, that Jesus come to save. If I'm Simon, then maybe, just maybe, I have never really loved Jesus the way He deserves to be loved. I've never, I've never washed His feet. If I'm Simon, I've never anointed His head with oil. I've never greeted Him 
with love and affection. So perhaps if I'm Simon, then maybe I have more to offer than I've yet to offer. If I'm Simon, maybe I've neglected to learn what true worship really is. So today, if I'm Simon, then where do I go? Where do I go from here? Do I choose to learn from the Master? Do I take a lesson from the least of these, such as this woman? Do I allow Jesus to enlarge my perspective and see Him more than just someone that I can receive from? If I'm Simon, what do I do in this moment right now? Do I fall at His feet and worship Him? Or do I simply walk away? With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, if you are here and you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, you say, I've been kept away from Him long enough. I've been in my own way. I've allowed people to dictate terms for me and I'm tired of it and I don't care what people feel like, what people think. I don't care what the world has to say about it. I don't care about the protocol. I just want to get to Jesus. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We would love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself face down on your shore. You say, come to me.